Morning, everybody. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we do indeed acknowledge that our help comes from you. You are a great and mighty God. You're worthy of all worship and praise, and you're even worthy of complete devotion and commitment from each person in this life. Father, as we remember President's Day weekend, we pause and we think about the state of our nation, and we pray for our country. Lord, we thank you for the people who have gone before us in leading this nation. We thank you for your hand that has been directing over now many decades and how you have provided in wonderful and marvelous ways for the people of this country. Most importantly, we thank you for the gospel fruit that has been brought to bear over many years and how the United States has for some time been identified as a Christian country, how men and women and boys and girls throughout the decades have put their faith in you and sought to follow you faithfully, how missionaries have been raised up in this nation and sent out to the world, not because America was great, but because the gospel is great. And we thank you, God, for using the people of this nation in that way. Today, as we look at the political climate of our nation, we see a country that is in many ways divided. And so we pray, Father, that you would help, that you would guide, that you would cause to happen a form of unity again. We lift up our president to you, and we pray that you would give him wisdom. We pray that you would give him the tools that he needs to lead our country well. We pray that you would give him spiritual sensitivity And we ask, Lord, that you would surround him with wise counselors. Father, we desire not to be a Christian nation, but we desire to be a nation of Christians. And so we pray that uh, in our lifetime that we would see uh, more and more men and women and boys and girls coming to faith in Christ. We pray for spiritual revival to come to pass, that we would have a deep and profound conviction of our sin and our shortcoming, and that we would look to your glorious Son, who sacrificed himself on our behalf, as we've been singing about this morning. There is no greater love than this, you tell us, and we know it and we believe it to be true. And so we pray, Father, that you would help us in these things. We ask now that you would continue to mold and shape us by your word. We desire to hear from you. And so we ask very plainly that you would speak loudly unto our hearing, that we might change and that we might grow. In Jesus' name, amen. The high school basketball player works hard. He goes to open gym. He takes hundreds of shots a day. He hits the weights and he even plays summer ball, all with the desire that he will get better. These are the things in his control. But he has no control over how tall he will be. But if I were to take that young man aside and to say to him, I know that without a doubt, you will be at least six foot, seven inches tall. I know you're only 5'10 right now. 
But without a doubt, you will be at least 6'7". If this player was smart, he would work even harder developing his skills that he could control because of the hope of what was happening in the things that he could not control. And if that was the case, then he would, his skills would meet those uncontrollable aspects of his growth, and he wouldn't just be a good high school basketball player. He would be a college recruit and have a chance at a career in basketball. Likewise, the employee works hard at his job. He develops his skills. He is efficient with his time. He certainly never looks at Facebook at work. And he comes early and he stays late. These are the things that he can control. But there are some things out of his control. And if I were to tell him that the things out of his control were happening in a way in which the company was structured. And this would result in not just a promotion for him, but it would actually result in a whole career path of aggressive advancement. Now, the smart employee would say, well, I'm going to work all the harder in the things I can control because of the hope of the things that are happening that I cannot control. Friends, this morning we move forward in our study in the book of Philippians that we are calling forward. And as we've been thinking about spiritual growth together over the last number of weeks, or forward progress in our spiritual lives, this morning we see that there are two sides to Christian growth. The side that you can control, (laughs) and the side that you cannot control. And I'm happy to tell you that just like the businessman or just like the high school basketball player, the aspect of your growth that you cannot control should indeed fuel your desire and motivation to engage in the things that you can control. Work because God is working in you. And that's the message of Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. So please grab a Bible with me. Open to Philippians 2. It's found on page 981 of that Pew Bible. And I would encourage you to keep it open. We're going to look carefully at the scriptures today. And if you don't have a copy of the Bible, please take that Bible home with you as a gift from Old North to you. Uh, We so um, intentionally and wonderfully see how the Bible changes people's lives as you engage with God's word. He meets us. He speaks to us. He transforms us. And we want to have a copy of the scripture in everyone's hand who would read it. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. This is what it says. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. 
even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Work because God is working in you. And in verse 12, we see that there is a clear sense in which believers in Jesus Christ have work to do. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You work. And we'll talk more about what that means in a moment. But before we do, I want to briefly explain the motivation for this work. This work that's not just work that happens in a moment. It's not just work that happens through a short season of life. But this is work that happens for the rest of your life. And we have some really wonderful sources of motivation behind it. Motivation number one is rooted in the reality of Jesus Christ being exalted. Last week we looked at the previous section of Philippians and we, we finished that section with this incredible crescendo stating the future reality of all humankind as it relates to the person of Jesus. Let me remind you what it says. Look back in your Bibles at verse 9. It says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus will not ultimately succumb to attempts to paint him as weak or ineffective because of his humility and suffering. He will not forever be associated with cultural conceptions of exclusivity that are fueled by hatred or bigotry. He will not allow his words to ultimately, in the final analysis, be twisted or his motives to be questioned. Jesus will not forever serve simply as the gas station attendant to fill your spiritual tank when you need it, or your spiritual boyfriend who is there to make you feel good about yourself in your times of need. Nor will he be dismissed as irrelevant or immaterial. There will be a day when every person throughout all of history will bow their knee to him as king and lord. And of course, this gives great hope for the Christian. This gives us great concern for those who don't know him. And it motivates us. The natural implication of us recognizing the final outcome is that we live in light of the fact that we will give a final account to him someday. So, therefore, my beloved, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because the day is coming. There's another motivation. And the second motivation that you have for working out your salvation in fear and trembling is that God himself is working in you. Look again with me at verses 12 and 13. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for, verse 13, 
It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so this brings the two sides of spiritual growth together, and one motivates the other. On the one side, God has promised and is fulfilling his promise to grow you and change you. This is called the process of your sanctification. He's making you more holy on this long journey from the day that you put your faith in Jesus until the day you pass away or he returns, whichever one comes first. And on the other side, you engage in a concerted effort to grow. But this effort is not simply a blind hope. It's actually an enthusiastic trust that God is already doing this work in you. It's like the basketball player who is taking hundreds of shots a day, but he's told, you will be 6'7 someday. It's like the employee who's working hard at his job and putting in extra time because he's told, there will be, without the shadow of a doubt, a career advancement path for you. Because God himself is working the other side of the equation You and me have stimulus to work this side of the spiritual growth equation. And it's interesting that he says to do so with fear and trembling. We so often take our our spiritual growth so casually, don't we? And this phrase, fear and trembling, is a phrase that's often used in the Old Testament when someone encounters the angel of the Lord. (laughs) And they see themselves in light of who they really are, and they begin to catch a glimpse of God and who he really is. Fear and trembling. (laughs) And they realize the seriousness of the task that is in front of them because of the presence of the one that they are engaged with. And it motivates them. And so what does this mean? To work out your own salvation in this way. If you hear that phrase and that makes you a little bit uncomfortable, I'm glad to hear that it does. It should. Because at first glance, it sounds like that you, Christian, might actually have an active role in earning a place before God, as if somehow you could work hard enough and do things hard enough to be righteous before him. But let me assure you that's not what Paul is talking about here. We see in the Bible this tension that the moment we put our faith in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, that we're justified before him and thus we're saved. But at the very same time, we see at other places in the Bible that even though we're justified before God, that our salvation is not yet fully complete. I mean, after all, we live in a sinful world and we still sin. (laughs) And so there's a sense in which salvation has happened and there's a sense in which salvation is coming and we live in this tension. Let me show you this biblically. When you put your faith on the one pole, when you put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you are saved. And this saving work is only an act of God's grace to you. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5 says that even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were made alive together 
with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We were spiritually dead, we were made spiritually alive, and it's only God's grace that makes us that way. Titus chapter three says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So on the one side, you have this dynamic, faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, God justifies you by his grace and you're saved. But on the other side, we see a sense in which this salvation is a future reality. And we see this in Romans chapter five, verses nine and 10. It says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved, future, (laughs) by him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved in the future by his life. So salvation here is a future reality. And so when we think about this idea of working out our salvation, we're not confusing this with the idea of us working to be saved, that's God's work and God's work alone. And nor are we confusing with the simple moment of conversion that we often talk about as, hey, are you saved? Or I heard so-and-so got saved the other day. We're not talking about that. We're talking about salvation. And the Bible often talks about salvation as being the redeeming work of God in its totality. <laughs> you were saved. You are being saved still right now. And you will be saved completely and totally. And in this present moment, Christian, the word for you is work. Because God is working in you. And the word here, to work, to work out your salvation, has a really specific nuance, and I love it. It means to work with great effort or great care. I love getting to know people. I'm a people person. I love seeing their passions, and particularly their passions as it relates to what they like to create. We know artists, and the care that they take in painting is always so impressive to me. The stroke of the brush, the thickness of the paint, the precise placement on the canvas, great care in creating something beautiful. Some people take great care with their classic cars the detail that they use in restoration, the fine nuances of the stitching that they use in the seats, the parts that they decide to have chromed and the parts that they decide not to, even the type of wax that they use in the car. Great care in creating something beautiful. Others take great care, some of you take great care of your bodies. The diet that you eat is precise. The foods that you avoid are the foods that many of us enjoy. And the regimen of workout 
is all designed to produce something. Great effort and great care. I wonder if you view your spiritual growth in the same way. Do you take great care and great effort in working at it? Or does it fit someplace else in the priority list? Does the care that you take over your own soul rival that care and effort that you put into the other passions of your life? The idea of taking great care to grow should resonate with us and even excite us. Why? Because God is at work in us. Work because God is working in you. And so how do we do this? You know, Philippians is so interesting because it's this book that has these sort of back and forth. It's, it's very conversational in nature. It's a letter of friendship, as I said in my introductory sermon a couple weeks ago. And so this text only gives us a couple glimpses of what this means to work out your salvation. But when you take a step back and look at the book as a whole, you see a variety of ways that we're called to work out this salvation. Here's just a taste of what we've seen so far. We're called to grow in love that is abounding in knowledge and discernment. And in this you work out your salvation. We're called to grow together in community, chapter 1. We're challenged to make God's agenda of knowing Jesus and helping others to know him our agenda for life. And as you shift your agenda to his agenda, this constitutes a level of working out your salvation. We're to follow Christ in humility and even in suffering because like him, we too shall be ushered into glory. And when you follow humbly, even into the hard stuff, this is a combination of working out your salvation as God works in you. And we might categorize all of these things under one broad category and that's the category of obedience part of the way that you work out your salvation is by simple and direct obedience to God in the midst of a variety and ever-changing circumstances of life and if you know anything if you if you pause for one moment and think about your life the circumstances are always changing None of us live in a vacuum. None of us live these sort of static, generic lives. It's always changing. And to figure out how to follow the Lord faithfully in obedience in those times is actually work. But God is empowering you to do it because he's working the other side of the equation. Work because God is working in you. We could talk a lot more about that, and, and I would refer you back to some of the previous messages and, and to stick around ahead for what is coming, because all of these things will come together, they'll coalesce around this idea of spiritual growth, of moving forward, of forward progress together. Let's look ahead in the text, verses 14 and 15. We see that uh, we are called in this passage a specific manner that leads us to work, and that is to be blameless children of God. Look at it with me. It says, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked 
and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. I wonder if there's things in your life that you don't like. Of course there are. I wonder if there are things in our church that you don't like. Me too. Now, I'm sure there are a lot of different dispositions that we could have as we try to go about working out our salvation in this type of way. But here, Paul says very clearly, do so without grumbling or disputing, and you'll be blameless and innocent children of God. Let's make a couple of observations. One, the command is clear. Avoid grumbling and disputing. Those things are associated with a twisted and crooked generation, which you're called to be different than. Avoiding it, verse 15, will keep you blameless and innocent. It will keep your witness as you are called to be a light in this crooked and twisted generation. And verse 16, holding fast to the word of life is part of the way that you are able to do this. I.e., the way that you live as lights in the world is by holding fast to this word of life. That is, the gospel. That is, as it's expressed in God's written word, this keeps you not only as a light, if you're holding fast to it, but it also preserves you from this ongoing temptation that we might have to grumble and dispute. I think of the little boy who never said a word for the first six years of his life. Can you imagine? I'll be honest, there are some days when I wish that. (laughs) But one day his parents served him a cup of cocoa. And out of left field, the kid says, this cocoa is no good. His parents leapt up out of their chairs. They began to celebrate. And after things calmed down a minute, their their little boy had said his very first words. And they said to him, why did you wait so long to talk? To which he replied, up until now, everything's been okay. (laughs) Some Christians are like that, aren't they? When things are fine, they're silent. I get to consume, I get to grow, I get to be just fine. But when things are distasteful to them, well, now things get really vocal. We grumble, we dispute. But Paul says the opposite should be our disposition. And this is related to this idea of working out your salvation. Verses 17 and 18, we see his concluding words of these sections. We might categorize them as rejoicing in God's work. He says at the end of verse 16, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I'm glad. And I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. This is good work, people. It's hard work. And as you work out your salvation, God works the other side of the equation. And he uses actually some other people to do that. And he might use you to do that for others. 
as well. And we rejoice that God is working on the other side of the equation. And we rejoice and we honor those who have worked for our spiritual growth. I thank God for my mother, Mary Gatsky. For Alan Kenny, my senior high youth pastor. For Dwight Perry. For James McDonald. For Colin McDougall. For David Reed. For Scott Gibson. For Haddon Robinson. For Derek Tidball. For Harry Fletcher, all of whom worked. (laughs) And whether they recognized it or not, they worked on my behalf. And it brings rejoicing to my heart, to God for them. And I wonder who those people are for you. Those people who you think back and you say, I do not want them to think that their labor was in vain or that they ran this race for nothing. And my life is going to be a living example that the Lord used them. Work. Because God is working in you. There was once a businessman, a business consultant, who decided to landscape his grounds. And he hired a woman with a doctorate in horticulture who was extremely knowledgeable about all things related to plants. Because this business consultant was very busy and he traveled a lot, he would continue to emphasize to her the need for this garden to be created in such a way that it required little or no maintenance on his part. He insisted on automatic sprinklers and other labor-saving devices. And as they went around the grounds, the woman finally stopped him. And she said, there's one thing that you need to deal with before we go any further. If there's no gardener, there's no garden. There are no labor-saving devices for growing a garden of spiritual fruit in your life, Christian. Becoming a person of spiritual faithfulness and fruitfulness requires time, requires attention, It requires care. And so Paul says, work, because God is working in you. John Ortberg writes that spiritual transformation always involves training and not just trying. Spiritual transformation is a long-term endeavor. We've talked about that. And it involves both God and us. I liken it to crossing an ocean. Some people try day after day after day to be good, to be spiritually mature. And that's like taking a rowboat across the ocean. It's exhausting and usually unsuccessful. Others have given up trying and they throw themselves entirely on relying on God's grace. They're like drifters on a raft. They do nothing, but they hang on the hope that God gets them there. Neither trying nor drifting are effective in bringing about spiritual transformation. A better image is that of a sailboat, which moves, if it moves at all, it's a gift of the wind. We can't control the wind, but a good sailor discerns where the wind is blowing and adjusts the sails accordingly. Likewise, your spiritual growth has two sides of this equation. And you 
grow on one side of the equation by your work. Working with the Spirit of God means that you have a part in discerning the winds and knowing the direction you need to go and training our sails to catch the breeze that God provides and God alone provides. And that is true transformation. And so the charge, Christian, is very simply work. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work because God is working in you. It's a good work. It's a hard work. And I'm thankful that we get to do this work together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we recognize and when we think about and when we feel the reality of the exalted Jesus that will be shown for who he truly is and all people through history will recognize him as Lord to the glory of the Father. We are awestruck at what a great king this is and it motivates us to work. When we think about you, Father, who could do anything with your time, with your resources, but you care enough and you love your people enough to be working in their lives corporately as church families and individually in this walk of faith. We're motivated to work. God, we want to be a people who are pleasing to you. We want to be a people who are not stuck in neutral. We want to be a people who are moving forward. And so I pray that you would continue to do that heart change of motivating us to this working out of our salvation and that you continue to show us what it means specifically, how to do it for the lives and seasons of life that you've given us. We rely on you for this and we ask for this empowerment in Jesus' name. Amen.